0: Hey, welcome everyone to the Thursday I November 2nd space. This is a live recording of the Thursday Eye podcast, which is a newsletter and a podcast, a weekly one, that updates you about everything well worth uh, knowing about AI. And this week we're going to talk about several very interesting things. I'm just going to run through my list real quick for folks in the audience already, and then we're going to go dive deeper. It does not look like we have any at least scheduled interviews and deep dives like last week. Last week, we had two. Last week, we talked with Bo Wang from GII Embeddings. The guys released a, a long-sequenced embedding competitor to OpenAI's embeddings, and if you're into embeddings and you missed that one, definitely should check it out. It's now possible to run your own local embeddings that compete with OpenAI's ADA, and in addition to this, Hugginsface also released an embedding server. I think it was new at the time of our previous recording, but now I had a thread follow-up by somebody who actually tested this and it's actually quite, quite fast. So if you are running the rack system and you need to go offline completely, or you don't want to pay open the AI, you definitely can run the Hugging Face, uh, text embedding server, which is super fast. It's written with go on candle or rust and candle, rust and candle, and, uh, you can use the GINAI embeddings to do that, which will be comparable to OpenAI. However, they're only English. So if you're doing other languages, OpenAI is probably still leading the charge. And last week we also talked with Gradio folks. Gradio, if you don't know what Gradio is, you probably know what Gradio is. If you ever went to Huggins Face and interacted with a model, most of the time that interface is Gradio. Most, if not all of the time that default interface with the buttons and everything, all the free demos that you guys do on the uh, Hugging Face, that's a Gradio interface. It was great to have the, the team here, Abu Bakr and I think even we, ha- we had the celebrity in the audience, I don't know if you saw AK. AK came in and actually retweeted the space a little bit. So shout out AK and shout out Tucker and like, the whole Gradio team who actually released Gradio 4 this week. But also we had a deep dive with them about Gradio Lite, which is their version of Gradio running completely in the browser. It was crazy. Mr. Mm-hmm. Remember that? there was like a a, 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 JavaScript port of a Python library that runs within a JavaScript context, within a Python context, within a, a, a desktop browser. It was definitely, definitely fun to check this
1: out. And. Yeah, they, they also on, on Monday, they made it public now so that anyone with Gradio can host it on their own domain and people haven't quite realized this yet, but you can host the Gradio UI as if it's your own domain. Cause it's all open source. Yeah. Could you so give, could you give folks uh, in the
0: audience some more background to this? Cause we talked about it a little bit. It used to be that when you launch Gradio with a dash dash share, you get a public Gradio link. So what, what's the difference now?
1: So for anybody here, that's just like most of us, copy pasting some Python code, changing a few parameters and stuff and running their machine learning model. Um you use Gradio to to run a UI and it, it runs a web server. Up until now, you had the option to share your your web server and uh you would put share equals true at the very end of your code and then it will it will give you a, a public link. But this public link was always this like very long share IO link, and now Gradio lets you host it via your own domain. So it lets you configure your own domain. So now you can have it as a, as an iframe on your site and you can just have it as a component. And I think this is huge because it, it's one of the nicest ready to go UIs for machine learning models.
0: They're also doing like a, a reverse proxy. So you don't have to like open ports or everything. Uh, it just works. It gives you a URL and you can add it to your domain now, which is super cool. And it doesn't expire. The radio one used to expire after I think 72 hours. And I uh, used to work in Colab. We actually talked with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Apparently Collab blocked specific repos, like automatic one, 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 but uh, they didn't block all of Gradio. Apparently the Gradio team, they told us they do work with the Colab team. As we game started, initially you shared something with, with, with Colab as well. I think I saw this, but could you, could you talk about this a little bit? I think I, I need to find a tweet.
1: Yes, I shared our model that we trained about two weeks ago called Baklava. It was the first. We were the first. We, we swapped out Llama for Mistral. Yeah. So we took Lava, which is uh, Vision Llama, and we we configured it and retrained it to use Mistral. And uh yeah, so I, I, I shared a little collab that fires up a UI. This one doesn't use Gradio, but what we found out is that this thing is surprisingly good at X-rays. And we're still trying to figure out where in the previous data set, because there were no x-rays or any CT scans or stuff in our data set. So that means the clip encoder we used itself had those embeddings and, and somehow during training, enough tokens got, enough nerves got connected between Mistral and the vision model in the projection layer that we trained so that it is able to read them pretty well. And I actually had some people send me their, just on their own, their full body MRI scans. And uh, it, it did surprisingly well at, at picking up what their radiologist had picked up. So in my case, he had like two like three issues that was supposed to pick up and pick up two out of three of them. Yeah, you can use my collab code for that. I also, also posted one for an even smaller model that runs on three gigs of RAM. And that's uh, LDJ's Obsidian it's built the same way so obsidian and lava are built the same way just obsidian uses the stable lm 4b which is a much smaller model and i i, I made a six-bit quantized version of that for anybody that that wants to grab it see so yeah, if if you guys run it it, it doesn't work just dm me or better just tag in public then i actually have to it's fix. always yeah it's and, always uh, going yeah. to tag in public yeah we're going to talk about obsidian a
0: couple hours. In just a few moments, but definitely check out Nissan's work. Nissan, I think, attended to the top, the Buckle of Vision, the Bridge X ray. It's quite incredible. All right, folks. And I think it's official that it started with Thursday, November 2nd. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. We're here every week to keep you up to date. Uh, we stay up to date so you don't have to, is the motto. But if you want to, and you want to tell us, The cool thing that you found over AI for the past week, definitely use the chat comment button. Weird on X is on the bottom right. You can comment on the space as we're talking, and you can also ask questions. Thursday AI is here every week since GPT-4's release on March 14, and we've been covering everything from open source, LLMs. We have quite a few folks who actually train and find the models. One of them is, is now on stage, and other will pile in, hopefully. Maybe we'll see... Emozilla and Tiffany and some other folks who do like the, the big models and the releases LDJ. Uh, Nissan just mentioned also may, may come in and talk about uh, the model that they've trained. We also talk about big companies, APIs and, and different things. So Microsoft and OpenAI quick note here next week is OpenAI's dev Day. So next week on Monday, November, say 6th is going to be OpenAI's first developer conference. And I'm excited to share with you all that Thursday AI and Latent Space Pod, that many of you listened to, both of them, we're going to collaborate. And actually, we got approval from the AI to bring you Twitter Spaces from the actual event itself. It's going to be super cool. We just need to find a table. They told us, hey, you can do it from the event, but we don't have a table for you. So we're going to have to find like a quiet spot. Those of you who heard us during the AI engineer event, it was tricky with the noise. But I think we'll, we'll manage to find a spot over there we're going to bring you a discussion maybe pull in some folks from the from the conference as well and th- that's going to be very very awesome very excited about this and actually sh- you guys are the first who are hearing this and then i'll share uh, a post about this after the space and yeah the only two podcasters in the world that are going to get access and actually do a space and a podcast from there looking space in thursday I-, I couldn't be more proud and I'm very, very thankful to everybody here who like made it happen and actually supported Thursday. I, um, this is, this is incredible that this happens really, really incredible that this happened. Uh, so definitely tune into that space. It's going to be wild. If you have any questions that I can go and grab people, apparently Logan is not going to be there. He has like a wedding or something. So we'll need to, we need to get connected with new open AI folks. I will also ask them about, Hey, how is it that I'm getting the cool ChatGPT stuff the last out of everyone, and is there like a faster queue that I can join, I don't think they will say yes. We also cover big company AIs all the time, one of the things we, we cover is definitely the more, how should I say, big companies like Cloud and Entropic and Microsoft, like all these things. I mean, we love talking about vision and, and voice, so we're going to have, there's not a lot of vision news today. But there's quite a lot of, there's a, an interesting thing with voice that hopefully hugging face folks will come in at some point and talk about them. And if not, we're just going to cover and then ask them for their opinion. Hugging face really some cool stuff around voice and, and, and ASR. And we're going to talk about that. We also talk about AI art and diffusion, and we sometimes have folks who are like into this. I know there's spaces that are dedicated to diffusion models, stable diffusion, mid journey, et cetera. We're not dedicated to that, but we we'll definitely covered the most important things out of there. So, Arthur, we're going to cover some stuff from Luma today and from State of Decision. And we don't usually talk about policy and everything, but this week it was unavoidable. So, I guess we'll start with that and we'll cover the EO. Oh. If if you've been living under the rock or if you not have been terminally online like most of us, you probably didn't see this. However, this week was huge for... AI regulation discussions around the world, not just in the US. So this week started on Monday with an executive order signed by President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris probably signed this as well, that talked about AI and regulating AI and building up a framework on the government. It was a frenzy on Twitter. Many people started like freaking out before it actually happened. Some people released some stuff before it happened, considering that, hey, open source may be banned. There's also a bunch of takes. Obviously, as Twitter, the first one to make a take may win the public opinion court, right? So many people just said, oh, open source is not whatever. And it's just important to know that all of this happened and happened fast. Biden and the, how should I say, the White House, Biden's White House, let's say administration, they used the Defense Production Act from 1970, I want to say, that allows White House at the time of extreme need like a war or something to actually do some stuff and and get put things in production very interestingly this kind of loophole was used not only for war stuff and support around the world of the us but also for regulating ai so this like definitely raised an eyebrow of of, of a few folks and i want to share that i've tried to read as many takes quote unquote takes on this as possible and one of the more how should I say, takes that I've connected to is from AI snake oil. And I'm going to share this to the top of the space. And if you don't read AI snake oil, it's definitely, definitely recommended. You may remember them from, you guys remember, we talked about GPT-4 getting dumber and we discussed that it's not actually the case. And some folks from Databricks released a, thing, a paper that said, Hey, GPT-4 is getting dumber. And this is just like a fluke and a bad testing methodology. I think AI snake oil, Arwind Narayanan. And I think he's writing it with somebody else. They did like the thorough analysis and they were first to say, Hey, this is basically some bullshit. And since then I follow AI snake Roll and I pinned it. I hope I pinned it to the top of the space, if you guys can Indeed. see it. And if not, I'll find it later. They definitely, definitely dove into the executive order. What's there? So basically there is a whole mess, and array of different Requests for frameworks. A lot of it, just a, a huge amount of it is, hey, okay, we'll listen to all the lobbyists. And yeah, folks, the lobbyists for AI in, in the government are coming and they're going to do what the, the the lobbyists in the government do. They will, they will hop on everything and they'll start creating think tanks and group meetings and like all these things. So that's definitely coming, unfortunately, for AI as well. But also there's already some restrictions around compute, which many folks in the industry did not really love. That it's a specific type of compute. I think they mentioned 25 to the power of something, flops, And if your big trainings goes to that level, then you have to start reporting. They also talked about red teaming and different procedures around biochemistry. I think this came from Entropic and and their conversation. I think they're, they're very worried about those specific things. And one interesting thing that I noted, Biden was talking about deep fakes as well. So Biden gave a speech before on AI. And he actually went and said, Hey, do you know, it takes only like three seconds of your voice to, to, to create like a very convincing deep fake of your voice. And everybody laughed in the audience and he, and he went, Hey, they showed me this and they it said something I didn't say, I didn't remember saying. And so everybody was laughing. So one of the things that I noticed specifically, because we have covered this in terms of AI multiple times is, is it even possible to regulate that part. Now the open AI is here, uh, is an open source is here. And also, how would you even build a framework for watermarking? And so the actual full executive order didn't address that. All it said is, I think Department of Commerce or something like that will have to come up with a way to watermark voice and audio and video and stuff like this. And there's a lot, there's a very big executive order. I definitely am going to try and, and paste the link for you guys, but I just wanted to hear from folks on, on the stage, maybe Nistan, we'll talk about this. And then Luigi, you guys want to share some thoughts about, about the EO and how you guys saw it before, because we definitely talked about before. And then what, what do you think now where we stand in terms of this executive order? And then we can talk about UK after.
1: I thought it could have been a lot worse. So it was pretty optimistic so let's let's look on the on the good side the the annoying side was that it left it still left a lot of things up in the air and has to be decided later in a couple of months so it was quite like an a decisive order or anything like that it was it was the opposite and yeah so it it leaves room to go bad but overall i am I'm glad it's it wasn't yeah that it it wasn't a lot worse. We'll have something to do about all the different lobby groups which are like very well funded and don't actually do anything, don't actually put any evals or any safety code, are essentially completely just useless political lobbying that don't improve safety. We'll have to do something about that. Maybe we could use an LLM to rate them on what actual work they do. But yeah, overall, I that's that's my verdict it's, it could have been a lot worse
0: yeah i think i think i'm getting a little bit of the same a lot of this was like hey we need to build a framework and i was actually surprised with how much non doomery the conversation around this was like i was expecting there's going to be a lot of like doomerism around this and uh, i actually felt like biden did share the potentials of ai to be like great and of course i think he talked about like curing cancer, and curing climate change potentially. so this was like definitely a measured more than I at least expected or more than Twitter got me to expect. I will hear from Luigi if you want to chime in on this and then maybe we'll get to actually if we have time.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks. I think we, me and your view on this, Alex, are pretty similar. Like we talked about before, I think a lot of people were very pessimistic and saying it's so over and stuff before the full thing even came out. And I'm not even just talking about random people on Twitter, but even people I personally know and and they still like somewhat disagree with me about my interpretation on certain things but overall i think yeah like niston said it could have been way worse i think a lot of people were expecting it to be way worse and it's definitely not so over (laughs) it looks like we're pretty much developing things today and tomorrow next week and next month just like we would have without this executive order for the most part and maybe maybe more on the order of 9 to twelve, eighteen 18 months from now, there might be some things after the 270-day mark that come into effect. But for the most part, it looks like things are good and, yeah, I'm optimistic.
0: Yep. So definitely, I think I was able to, to add the link to you guys on the top. Thank you, Luigi. Thank you, Nissen. And then I think the the follow-up to this was there was an additional... This was a whole, like, regulation week. There was a, a, a town hall, a meetup somewhere in UK. And... You guys you guys want to see the craziest thing? I think I, I, I saw this, I sort was of like, okay, AI is on the map now for sure. There's a recording, I think I've added this now to the top of of the king talking about AI and regulation, like all those things. And it, it felt at points that we're like flying under the radar. Like many people said before, hey, we're so early. Hey, we're, we're, it's so over, but we're so early. Not many people still talk about the AI or know about the AI or even use CGPT. And here we have, like in the same week, we get a executive order talking about AI, which definitely was, I don't watch the news, but I assume this was covered by mass, mass media, even though I don't know how big they are compared to X but also in the same week, we got a summit in UK and here's the King of England talking about AI and AI safety and they're running an AI safety summit in UK and Rishi Sunak, the, the I think certainly based prime minister of England. I think, I think he's based at least talking about AI regulation, and we saw like Elon Musk flying in there, and folks from, from On Topic were there, Dariyama, Day. I don't actually have any outcomes of that summit. I don't know if folks in staging are already able to read anything coming out of that summit, but just the fact that we had both of them in the same week definitely showed that AI is mainstream now. Want it or not, we all expected it to happen. We've been at this, like we said in the beginning, ChatGPT came out almost a year ago, it's going to be a year, probably in a few days. And a lot has happened since then in the open source, in the closed source, obviously look how far ChatGPT has come. We're going to talk about some incredible stuff from the, the Luigi and Brian already got access to and look, look at how far the AI has moved. It does make sense that given how much it will change, at least some reaction will happen. And so I think we're now seeing this reaction. This was the week. And in response to all of this, another tweet I want to share with you guys, in response to all of this, Mozilla actually released a The Future of AI Governance open letter. And so I want to share this as well. And I want to encourage you because I know some folks on stage here and some folks in the audience already signed this. Mozilla has known, actually, I haven't signed yet. I will after this, but Mozilla is definitely known for open source and uh, do, do a lot of work in that area. And so they definitely sign something. And many of the folks that we follow folks, that live open source, find that this letter is like very important. And I encourage everybody here who enjoys open source or enjoys open source AI as well to definitely go and sign that as well to, to make sure that our voice is heard.
3: Hi, thank you for the stage. Just wanted to talk about this regulation thing. Same, same. Very optimistic and it was good that nobody called for the season and desist like what we were seeing in the earlier days. Stop everything until we have more gra more strong regulations to that. So that is a good thing. Another thing that was shocking was I was expecting the whole AI community to come together and basically represent well. But now I see on Twitter basically the three heroes of AI that I have learned AI from Andrew Ng. Yan Likan and Geoffrey Hinton. All three of them having different opinions on this and all three of them basically going against each other, which is surprising. And uh, yeah, that was something which was surprising in this aspect of AI regulations and stuff. And that's what I wanted to point out. Yeah,
0: definitely great shout out. There was a whole conversation. I don't know if you guys missed it, but actually thank you for bringing this up. I think it started with uh, uh, Andrew saying something about regulatory capture for big companies. And then uh, Jeffrey Hinton, obviously he was at Google and he left Google for to be able to speak about AI, I think. And then also young, Lecun, who, the guy who, the Chad, <laughs> uh, guys behind Lama and the releases of that, and they all had different opinions about this. So it was very, very interesting to try and follow this. At some point, Max Tegmark from, I think MIT. I don't remember what Max is from. Definitely like more of a, a doomer personality than the rest of the folks also chiming. in, there's a whole discussion. I will not even attempt to try and recap this for you guys, honestly, because like it was spread all over X or Twitter and it was, it was quite a lot, but it's very important that they started talking about this as the regulation happened, because those are like very serious people that run some of the biggest labs and people listen to and I think it's important to at least. At least direct you guys there to those conversations. I don't know if anybody on stage has been able to follow all of it and try to parse it for us. If you're have, if you able to do it in two minutes, yeah, that's go ahead. Actually, give us your best try and then we'll move on to the next topic.
3: Yeah, I'll do it in 30 seconds. So here's the thing. Andrew NG was basically, Andrew NG is the most optimistic guy of the bunch. And Andrew NG was like, okay, everything is good. Everything should be moved ahead. And Jan Likkan is also, as we know, the chat guy. He was like, okay at least one big tech that is meta at this point is going for open source and trying to support open source everywhere. Jan Lucan's basically point is that all the big tech is going for regulations and they should be supported for regulations. Here, Jeffrey Hinton's point was that big tech is going for regulations because then big tech can easily avoid if something negative happens because of this in the future. So they can say that, okay, but we followed regulations. So it's not our fault that something bad happened. And this is basically the conversation that is going on right now. That's what basically I have understood by far.
0: Yeah. So that's the worst following. And then I basically something, but it's from uh, mass media. So definitely try to read the conversation yourself. Just a quick intervention here. While we were recording Thursday-like spaces, we noticed that some of the new things we talked about, OpenAI is pulled back and uh, labeled confidential. And so I've edited out the introduction of who and how we saw this, but the conversation of the conversation about the new ChatGPT tools is kept the same. Um, We're hoping that OpenAI will release this to everyone very soon. Basically, if you have the ChatGPT Plus version before this new release you're now you're able to switch between modes so your default mode probably already has given i think they released it to 100% of people so you can upload images then you can switch to browse with Bing if you guys remember they took away the Bing browsing and then put it back and there was a whole thing why did they take it away is it like too dangerous to connect it to the internet then at some point some of you and then now all of you probably have access to advanced data analytics, uh, uh, formerly known as code interpreter, which is a way for ChatGPT to actually have code running ability. So it writes code and then executes this very genetically. And then Nista and I and DJ, like some other folks, we, we dove in significantly into code interpreter as well. It's a very powerful feature, but I think many people did not use this almost at all. Many people didn't even know that it's there because it's like a hidden dropdown and it's not even on mobile. And I think the last thing that was released to many folks is DALI 3, which is also under drop-down. So all these tools, you had to switch between them, and none of them have the same context. So you, you weren't able to use them in the same conversation. And then you got access to this new mode that all of them are combined. Basically, uh, they turn ChatGPT from all these different modes into one, where it basically has eyes via vision and can draw via DALI. You can access the internet via Bing. And you can run code via advanced data analytics, and you can actually ask it to do all these things one by one after another. And the context is shared. I think it was like super, super, super cool. And one example, I think I shared on top is we, we we tried to do as many cross modalities or cross modes things as possible, right? So we had some crazy people recommend some, some incredible prompts in, in discord. And I want to ask maybe let's start with Luigi and then Brian and Nissen. What are you? Some of your favorite kind of combinations of these powers together in one prompt. What, what like stood out to you that you're now able to do? Yeah. So there's chatting
2: with the PDFs or chatting with a file, which a bunch of uh, rappers people are joking how the rappers that were exclusively doing that are maybe dead, depending on how sophisticated the features were. But yeah, now I can actually just literally. I in one of my examples, I think I tweeted about. I put the mistral technical report PDF into just uploaded it to the chat and I made sure to actually name the file as well not anything related to Mistral so that it might not you can't use the assistance of the title and I just asked it about different things like hey what benchmark scores in the in the paper did this get compared to this or how much higher the score compared to that it was actually able to go through this big PDF it looked like it was reading through it and everything and giving me really accurate results even after I checked to make sure it wasn't hallucination or anything like that. And then the other thing is with PDFs, even testing like 100-page PDFs, if you remember, is able to read things on page 75 very consistently. And then also generating images. So having an image of, let's say, a hat, and then I give it the image of a hat and tell Dali 3, hey, can you like make a capybara in, fr- in front of a jungle look like it's wearing this hat? It looked like it's wearing the object in this image and it's able to recognize that the image contains a hat It's able to then put a hat on a capybara bar
0: using Dolly three. Yeah. Really cool. And I think one of the coolest things is that understanding vision wise and then piping it to Dolly, I think was like a super cool play toy, right? You're able to upload things, have a vision on the send disk, And then from this understanding, you just pipe them into a different joint. Go ahead, Nisa. What was your favorite one? Then we'll get the brand.
1: I was not impressed. <laughs> so, I I use Bing all day because I I can talk to it and I like how it can search 10 things at once in a second and be done searching uh, whereas this is still the same same old same old method of open AI searching the site just going one at a time and the other part which I might find useful is let's say a new paper came out and you want to implement it and you want to run it through the LLM. I still think cloud is a better use for this because it can actually hold the whole thing in context. Whereas the for this one did not return multiple results at once. So it would find one thing very well, but let's say you you wanted to know, I don't know, top 10 things about this, or let's say you've printed out a whole bunch of code and you want to know, uh, Hey, where's this function being used give me all the parts of this function. And I started rewriting the function. It can't do that. So you you need the whole context. So, yeah. So overall I was not that impressed. I-, I was with the fact that they did manage to connect all the different models uh, together, so it did work that you could pass stuff to Ada and then and then you could do web search so that that opens up some interesting possibilities there
0: absolutely i think and definitely folks this is why thursday is awesome we have experts on stage and not everybody agrees on everything i think this mixture of like experts is great on stage brian go ahead what you also got access right and you also play with this you didn't participate with us on stage so you're like we're doing this going at it alone so what were your favorite parts about this like all all tools mode So I liked
4: the idea of being able to combine vision with the data analysis, and there's not like a specific use case that I would see myself using right now for that, but I could see a lot of possibilities where you can basically say to a model now, hey, look at this thing and help make me a report on it or something like that. One thing that I wanted to mention, I don't know if it's the case for you guys still, but I actually lost access this morning, so I don't have the update anymore. And it's back to what it looked like before. Only difference for me is that it doesn't say like September 25th version at the bottom now. It doesn't say anything about the version. It just says ChatGPT can make mistakes, verify important information. But another thing that I noticed when I did have access is the all tools model is actually gpt four thirty two k So this is the first time that OpenAI has put 32K context in there because I think the base model before was only 4K and you had to use like the ADA model or plugins or something if you wanted to get 8K context. So I'm thinking what's going to happen is this is meant to be part of one of the announcements on November 6th. And it is likely due that they will have some kind of decrease in price for GPT-4 API. And maybe that's why they're going to be able to
0: have better availability for the 32 K model as well. So could be, could be that some folks are still AB testing and Brian, some folks, Brian, do you miss this by the way? And do you miss this model that you'd love annoyed that you have to switch?
4: Yeah, no, I want it back. Definitely. So like in our own product that we built at Heights platform, Heights AI, um, it works a little bit different, of course, but it's based on our own context. But from the start, we had the the same kind of setup of the model chooses the tool it's going to use without the user having to specifically select something. And I just think it's so much easier. And the idea of being able to combine those things is so helpful versus having to say, oh, I'm going to make a new conversation now and copy and paste what I had before and
0: try to do something. Absolutely. And so we definitely also noticed, so it's great to, hear, to have another confirmation from you. We noticed uh, somebody leaked the prompt itself, and it's uh, quite a big prompt. I just uh, added it to the Nest and the prompt uh, leaker, whatever, also noticed that uh, it's probably 32K and we didn't previously got to 32K. Listen, you mentioned Claude from Topic, that's a hundred K that you actually load documents and all of the context is loaded into the machine's brain. You can chat with it and they can give you some bunch of stuff definitely this is not necessarily that. So when you upload PDFs right now to, to this new old tools, more than you don't get, the model doesn't load the whole complex into its brain, but they did give us new tools from searching and inside the PDF And scroll to a specific page, like all these things. So definitely got new tools about how to actually use PDFs inside it. In addition to what was previously possible via the code writing, right? You could write code that goes and parses and stuff. So we did get new tools as well, in addition to the combination of all of them. I just want to talk about my favorite one. One of the things that I wanted to ask the second we got this, the, the same day we got this, we got all excited together, it was the first snow day here in Denver and I definitely was interested in combining real time data with the rest of the tools, right? Because with browsing, you get real time data. So I just to think up I had to write a simple prompt that said, Hey, go and find the weather, the current weather in Denver, because it was the first day of snow. So we definitely know if it knew about snow and then draw an image based on that with the weather conditions. And so you can see that it basically did that we went and found that it's snowing and it took the snow. And they also took the existing conditions. It was like 25 Fahrenheit for you European ones. That's like below zero, minus five, minus seven, below zero in Celsius. And it actually generated like a nice weather UI almost on the fly. And so we actually saw like agentic behavior where we did one task and then did the other task with DALI. And then this was super cool. I really loved it because, okay, you know how DALI writes some text, but the text is not perfect. You could actually go into the code interpreter and ask it to superimpose this with HTML on top. And ask like Dali to create a background image of the weather conditions. And if we're getting these tools in API very, very soon in the OpenAI dev day, then it would be very cool to actually be able to do this like on the fly UI based on real world data. And I, I get excited based on this one. I also very, very much like Luigi's like uh, transfer of concepts where you upload like a, a picture of a weird skateboard And then you have an already existing image and you say, hey, add this object to that image that you already drew. And so GPT-4 uses vision capabilities in together with drawing capabilities, basically leading us towards a multimodality on the input and the output. So I just want to make this distinction real quick and let's talk about this. Uh, Previous multimodal models that we've had, including LAVA. They were multimodal on the input. They could take text or image or both, right? You could upload a text and ask with upload an image and, and have some text that ask about stuff about the image. This is multimodality on the input. DALI or ChatGPT with DALI mode could be multimodal on the output, whereas Midjourney is still just one modality, it just outputs images. ChatGPT with DALI could output text and images. So that's multimodal in the output. And this new mode, Is I think the first time that I saw an actual production product that you can use that's multimodal on the input and the output. It doesn't matter if you can provide an image, you can provide text, text and image, and then on the output, you can get the text and image as well. And I think we're going to this era of what I call MMIOs, a multimodal input and output models that can generate images and text and possibly sound. If you use, I don't think it works in this mode yet correctly for a moment, but if you use ChatGPT mobiles, you can also talk to it. So that's another model that it accepts. I think it's super, super cool that we're stepping into this era and I'm, I can't wait until the open source catches up as well towards that. I think we covered most of it. We're actually getting some incredible breaking news and Emozilla is in the audience and I think Technium just, just added this. Welcome Emos to the stage. Welcome, welcome. One of the authors of the Yarn Paper and folks, if you don't know about anything about the Yarn Paper, we've talked about this at length with Emozilla and, um, Enrico and some other folks who are also authors, welcome to the stage. Could you announce the kind of the release excitement?
5: Yeah, sure. Great to be back. Uh, Yeah. Today, we just, as of an hour ago, we just released Mistral Yarn, releasing both a 64K and a 128K version of Mistral 7B. And basically what that is, is to summarize, it's, it's a way to take an R, the Yarn method is a way to take an already trained model. We did it originally, in fact, with Llama 1. Llama two. Now we've done it with Mistral. Take a model that's already trained and essentially, I don't like to use the word trick, but do some special stuff, some some special deep learning stuff to make it be able to deal with much longer context windows than what it was actually trained with, because of some peculiarities in how the embeddings inside of the models that we use today work. And the embeddings are the the positional embeddings are the things that tell the model the ordering of the words as you're as you're doing the inferencing the models often incorrectly learn the embeddings and it, that is what causes the model to stop at whatever its trained context length was what's interesting is that perspective this wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily true that this would happen in fact when people first created the models they thought they would be able to deal with arbitrarily long contexts but just because of some peculiarities in the way it works the models learn to like basically stop with the with the amount of data they were trained with what we did in the yarn paper was essentially study how can we do a little bit of post-training to unlearn that behavior within the model while retaining everything else, while not changing anything about like the world knowledge of the model. We did this originally in Lama 2. Today we announced it, uh, we released it with uh, Mistral. Uh, another exciting piece is that also yesterday, uh, support for yarn within Lama CPP was learned. So any tools that are using Llama CPP can use yarn models now. This is really exciting because llama CPP has the best quantization, in my opinion, like the best options for quantization, particularly like their quantization method shrinks the model, the the VRAM requirement by like about a factor of four with pretty minimal degradation. And when you you combine, when you take that and you use Yarn, you actually start to get like accessibility for long context within compute requirements that would be within like an average person, right? Like this is on your video card. So being able to use four and five bit quantization in Llama CPP with long context really unlocks it. And what's even more exciting, I would, I'm oh, not more exciting, but what I am excited about is just the robustness of the Mistral model itself. You know, I worked, I've been, you know, using it all, all the time, like as we've been working on this. And it's really, I can, I could say having done the benchmark, we've worked with it, that it really is essentially equivalent or very slightly better to Llama 2 13B. You can think that we released Llama, 13, Llama 2 13B yarn. Look, I yeah, you can use the 128K, but you're gonna need, 128K 13B is the best, but you're gonna need a lot of VRAM to do it. Now we have essentially equivalent performance in a 7B, and we can quantize that 7B by a factor of four using Llama CPP. And suddenly, like you're essentially looking at like a 16x reduction in VRAM to be able to do long contacts. So the inevitable march of, of open source progress continues. But yeah. And we're, we're excited to, to be a, a little bit a part of it. And we haven't announced this anywhere, but I'll, I'll say it here too. We're actually in the process right now of training Yarn Llama 270B. So we are about a fourth of the way through the training run right now. We're doing some checks right now just to make sure it's working right before we. It takes a lot of compute to train seventy B models, but we're also training and we'll be releasing soon the seventy beaver of llama uh,
0: That's so awesome. Imos, thank you for coming up. and thank you for releasing and working on this. So we've talked about the yarn paper, we've talked about rope scaling before. and I think That the last thing that you said about Mistral, I think this is like the whole community is gathering around this specific thing. And definitely the folks at Mistral are doing great things. And it's so awesome to see that the yarn applies there as well. Were there any difficulties around this? I remember in the beginning, there was like a little bit of a difficulty with yarn, uh, with sorry, with Mistral training. Were you, did you end up fighting it
5: in order to get it to work? Uh, Yeah, we did actually. Yes. We also tried to do, it came out. And there was just a lot of back and forths trying to get the training to work. There were several bugs in the Transformers library and Accelerate that needed to get worked out, particularly a- a- around the sliding window attention mechanism, which is in a new, a new attention mechanism that's inside of Mistral. I will speak candidly and say that that was maybe not done correctly or they post hoc added it in. It's not entirely clear that it was actually used at all during training. And in fact, in our models, we had totally disable it. And we also noticed that when we disable it, it doesn't change the inference. When we use it, there was a little bit of confusion in the model architecture. What exactly was going on, particularly with the sliding window attention. And yeah, there were some weird things with like how the attention mask was calculated Yes, there were some technical barriers that, that sort of, that caused this to take longer than we thought, but we worked through it all. And, and it, it. Because the model is so good, it felt worth doing. I'd be like, I'm like, I don't care what it takes. I'm gonna get this to work because because just the base model itself is is just so good. But yes, we did run into very similar su- similar troubles that other people were running into when the model first came out. It's incredible.
0: So I wanted to talk about the Amazon fine tune before you released breaking news today that like you guys took it all the way to 128, which is more than Claude existing on this like very very well performing model Mistral. Light, I think they called it. Amazon fine-tuned the version of Mr. Light. Were you involved in that as well? Uh, emails, I think I saw it somewhere there.
5: I was not involved in it. That is using an earlier, the NTK aware method, which is an earlier method that the author, the lead author on Yarn came up with. It's also the model, the method that CodeLamy uses. And actually what we discovered was that it, it isn't, like Yarn is just technically superior to it. And... So it, although it is a lot easier to do the NTK aware method because it requires no code changes to the model. So it's, it's like an easier thing you knew, like ours requires a custom modeling code, so like it required updates to Lama CPP. We have to ship a new modeling code with the model. Whereas when you're using the NTK aware method, it can be, it, it's like compatible with the existing default model code. because it's modifying only a single parameter that's already configurable the theta parameter within the rope embeddings. But what we discovered is that it just takes way, way more training to get equivalent performance with NTK than it does with Yarn. Now, Meta, when they released CodeLlama, they have like infinite compute to them. 50 billion tokens of training for 50 billion tokens is like no big deal, right? They were able to essentially overcome this by just spending the compute, spending the compute to train CodeLlama enough with the NTK or a method to get the long context behavior. Whereas with Yarn we didn't have we only had to train for like a billion tokens I right? think we we did it a bit more for Mistral because we wanted it to be really good I think we trained for two billion tokens so a, a serious serious reduction in the compute that was needed I will mention on the compute side we were very lucky to be Leon who op- does the Open Clip and uh, op- hooked up with Open Assistant and now Open Empathetic big open source contributors were able to get his access to the jewel supercomputer which is like the big German supercomputer with the I think it has nine hundred A one hundreds on it. they were able to get us access to that to train this. So just wanted to thank them and JSC and everyone who who was able to facilitate the access to the so s- awesome.
0: So now given that Amazon did it with NTK uh scaling, we have a mistral up that goes up to thirty two K tokens. And then uh, emails you guys release sixty four and one hundred and twenty eight both, right?
5: Uh, yeah, so we did discover, and so in the paper, we, we also released today version two of the paper. We had submitted the paper to ICLR, which is kind of like Nemo's prestigious AI conference. We made a bunch of changes to the paper from the original print for our conference submission. And then we also updated that with the Mistral results. And we released that to Archive today as well, oh, last night, but... It published today. But so there's now the two of the paper. And we compared the results to the, um, the Amazon one because it is a good comparison. Because it's okay, what if we use a different method? What, what do you get? And we see that the Amazon method actually really only can go to about 20K before the perplexity explodes. So I would say it's about around 20K. And it, we were thankful. I'm thankful they did it. Also, because it is a good academic comparison for us to be able to say, okay, how we can compare different methods using different things. And uh, up until we released it, it was, it was better than the, what we had in the opening. So anyone who wants, any group that wants to like spend resources to contribute to open source and make it better. I'm like, thank you, please keep doing it. And everyone keep doing their parts. And like I said, we continue the march forward.
1: Yes, I want to say this is huge in terms of getting long context window and getting something that's equivalent to cloud two, because there is no other product or alternative on the market. And for everybody else in the audience, if you have a, an hour long talk, you're gonna have about 16,000 to maybe 20,000 tokens if people are talking really fast. So you're looking at about 16,000 tokens out of a one hour long Twitter space or a clubhouse room or a YouTube video. And anything longer than that, like a lecture or or something at school, you're gonna run out of content. And up until now, I couldn't use. I tried to use Yarn 128K, the older model. I did not know that it was buggy with the GML and GUF to CPP. And the only model that actually worked well for summarizing for me was weirdly enough Vicuna 16K. And uh, yeah, so I have uh, my my question for. Imonzilla was how much memory does this use as context go up? Is the old one megabyte per token rule of thumb still applies? And is that still the same at, let's say, four bit, although I never really use four bit?
5: We, I, on my, I have a 4090. And you know, I can go with Lama CPP through about. 24k on my 4090, somewhere around, there. maybe 24, 26k, something like that, uh, using llama cpp. So it, it's somewhere around there, but it's yeah. So it's definitely within the accessible reach of, and that's using the default model size. So you can essentially then quantize it down from from there. And if you look at the quantization of uh, the perplexity degradation in llama cpp. Uh, you know, it, it, like Q eight is like pretty much almost identical, actually. Um, and like like the piece it like using FP sixteen for inference it is we are discovering probably like overkill. Um, and so like I think we will, you know, I think that's going to Q eight is one byte per per weight is good, and you even Q six is really good, and and five the VRAM requirements are are definitely coming down and make doing long context definitely accessible on like in a one. GPU environment. Okay.
1: So we might be looking at half a meg. All right. I'll, I'll do some testing on this because I, I was trying out a lot of different models and so far we haven't had this. So it, it's, this is huge because now we have Claude to hundred K functionality even better with open source models. So this is like, yeah. I'm excited. to do some Very testing. exciting. And
0: I was looking for when to plug in the kind of the Apple event, the scary fast Apple event that came up and didn't really apply anywhere. I think this applies here because Apple released uh, their next generation of Apple Silicon M3, M3 Pro, and M3 Max. And I think one of the incredible things that they talked about was the unified memory of 128 yeah. gigabytes of unified memory that you can go up to all the way. Unfortunately, the base model goes to 8 eight uh, gigabyte of memory, which is nothing. We know it's nothing, but it's unified memory. So it's shared between the kind of the CPU and the GPU and the neural engine and stuff. And so I can't wait for all these models to be able to actually run with Lama CPP it definitely runs on the M1 and M2 Max. Can't wait for like getting a long complex model, being able to run on my Mac with a lot of memory and actually perform very well without going to cloud and tropics, mm-hmm. it's going to be very incredible. I think the the actual RAM there for Mac actually makes a lot of difference. And yeah, so I finally finally find a way to plug this in. And again, thank you, Imaz. Uh, thank you for joining. Always, thank you for the deep explanation. I really, really appreciate it, folks. If you want to hear more from Emos, uh, Imaz, Imazila from Enrico and from the third author, Gauthier. Yeah. Yep. So if you want to hear more from these two guys, we have a deep dive for an hour We're talking about yarn, scaling, and I think we wrote before, so definitely check it out. We must always appreciate your time here with us and always feel free to come back to announce the other stuff that, that, that happened. And we love breaking news. And so thank you, Tick, Liam, and and Amos uh, for bringing us up during Thursday. I. I think this is not the only breaking news that we have. We're going to cover some more. Luigi, LDJ, I wanted to ask you about the models that you and News Research released this week as well. We wanted to cover them. We started talking about them a little bit, so we have bigger models, like Mr. L7 being like with long context, uh, but also have smaller models. Can you talk about those in this release?
2: Yeah, for sure. I do actually just want to add one quick thing to that, you didn't mention Minimo, we've talked about this internally a little bit before we're looking into things. There's flash decoding, which I'm not sure if you've covered that in the past. There's the AIs, but pretty much it's this new method that together came out with Shri Dowd, same person who did flash attention. And long story short, if if true, and if we're interpreting it right here, it looks like even at batch size one, which is just regular inferencing, uh, we might end up being able to do something like having a 50k context link conversations that is still most of the same speed of like a 2k conversation. And that's the main holdback right now in terms of the practicality of long context inference. So if we end up being able to implement that at inference time, and it wouldn't even require us to retrain the YARN models, they'd just be able to be implemented on the inference level. So yeah, that could be interesting. Outside of YARN, yeah, the models, the three other models that uh, we released are Obsidian, which is a multimodal model. And then there's Capybara 3 billion parameters, which would be the first 3 billion parameter news research model. And then just a new version, version 1.9 of copybar V1 point, uh, of copy bar seven. And without getting too much into details of I could go on forever about copybar copy bar and, and how that was built, uh, it's pretty much just a data set I created in terms of mostly new synthetic conversations that are focusing on multi-turn abilities for the model and focused on multi-turn back and forth conversations and on the line. You can ask the model, what is its name or who was it made by? And it's fixed with a lot of the biases so that it won't say anything like I was made by OpenAI or it's not going to say my name's ChatGPT, et cetera, which is surprisingly hard for a lot of models to try and do lately. In terms of Obsidian, which is the main thing I think people care about, that would be the first 3 billion parameter multimodal model, which I want to give huge props to Quan, that I collaborated with. He previously worked on GPT-4 training and he helped here with news research, just getting out this 3 billion parameter multimodal model that you can give it a picture of, let's say a billboard that says, there's, and there's a funny example of stop having kids on a billboard and then asking the model, hey, please interpret what in this image. And the model will even talk to you about how it thinks like it's either a billboard made for humorous reasons, or it might be made to have some controversial statement and it talks about exactly what it says, stop having kids, et cetera. Yeah. I think I summarized things. Hopefully there's, you have questions or think there's details. I'm missing out. Alex. No, no
0: questions. I just want to mention to the audience probably, because we did talk about this in other spaces. I just wanted to make sure we're we'll talking on Thursday. I obviously. Huge props to you for releasing like one of the smallest models in multimodal because we're going towards this world. I just wanted to mention to folks that there are tools to use some of the So Lama CQP is obviously for coders. You can install quantized models. You can download them, etc. And I think Tignum was talking about LM studio before. And I don't think the Lm studio still supports multimodality and I actually don't know of a tool that supports multimodality or open source models that are also able to get an image so how to actually use them Lj could you give an example and Nisa, I think you have something yeah
2: actually a uh, yeah actually perfect timing just this morning I was speaking with people some some people from hugging face they're working on getting a demo set up so people can just try and test out obsidian and, and inference with it and upload an image with it natively within an interface and like Gradio or something like that, that you can easily access through Hugging Face, and yeah, I think that that'll be big in terms of people just really feeling how good you can have a three billion parameter model do these multimodality functions.
0: I wanna shout out uh, first of all, Hugging Face folks. Also, Nistan, you you had an easy way to do this, right?
1: Yeah. Now a whole bunch of people ran it, and it it, it was fine, but some had errors. If you have that, just DM me in public. But Overall, I used Llama CPP to set up a web server, download, made the 6-bit Q6 versions of it. If you go back on the, on the Jumbotron, on the second thing, yeah, if you're on Linux, just copy and paste that whole command, tweet as is, and for most people, that has just worked. If you do anything else, you're going to probably run into trouble. And that will host an entire UI. It will start the web server. And then you just open your browser. So it's basically copy paste that, press enter, open your browser. 127.0.0.1 8080 and hit enter. That's it. I love it. But don't do anything else because you're going to break yeah. it. Uh, And uh, that, that should just work. And it's a really nice UI and, and stuff. So yeah, people have had good luck with it on Mac and Linux. So yeah. Until there's a much there's like a, a hosted one that people can just host on hugging face so, and stuff. But you don't need that much RAM for this. This runs in like literally three less than three gigs of RAM. It's a tiny
0: model, and it's incredible that this tiny model understands as much. I think it has some OCR capabilities. Yeah. So it understands text, and so it's really, really great, folks. And multimodality is coming like fast. We talked about ChatGPT leading the charge, like. Multimodal input and output. And now we're getting like tiny models with like multimodality built in. We are waiting for tools to pick up as well. So, like El- Elm Studio, GPT for all, all these tools, we're waiting for them to add. So, if you know some people there, definitely tell them, like, hey, we're excited about multimodality.
2: Yeah, I actually did let Yags you know, the creator of Elm Studio, and he's looking into maybe certain things. But I actually did want to mention, yeah, I forgot to talk about earlier how it can actually run on iPhone. It's small enough and fast enough to even run on a non-pro iphone at, at pretty decent speeds theoretically once the the code and frameworks are up and running and i also did want to mention do you plan on training capybara on yarn and i guess theoretically it wouldn't be out of the question of having a obsidian based on a capybara yarn model so honestly that could be out capybara a yarn capybara could be out like tomorrow or the next day yeah so we'll see on that'll that. be,
0: that'll yeah. be super super awesome so we also covered this previously i'm not gonna go into details but the whole concept of evaluation for multimodal models the whole concept of complex window for multimodal models where like you now provide uh, tokens with like image based tokens etc so like all, all these concepts we'll have to wrap our hands around and start figuring also evaluations for a model that accepts text and imagery and doesn't do captions but does answers about these things so all these things we've, we've covered before we're probably going to go uh deeper into this so if you're excited about moving without it definitely Thursday is the place for you and i want to discuss on the topic of open source ai this last piece i know we've been on this for a while but i think it's very important let's talk about code fusion guys let's talk about code Fusion. not that much time ago i think a week ago or something microsoft released a new paper called code fusion, a pre-trained diffusion model for code generation, where they said that they trained a tiny model. And by tiny, I mean, like, I think 75 million, not billion. So we've talked about the tiny copy bar of 3D. So that's 3 billion parameters. They trained a model of 75 million parameters based on not that much data as well. So usually, I think like 800,000 instructions or something.
2: Yeah, less than a million, which
0: is very small. Which beats... A twenty billion or ChatGPT 3.5 Turbo. Now, the whole internet exploded because the one thing they mentioned in this paper, there's like a table of comparisons, and one of the things they mentioned is the ChatGPT 3.5 Turbo is actually twenty billion parameters in size. And everybody's, oh wow, this is a paper from Microsoft. This must be true. And now we finally know the parameter size for ChatGPT 3.5. And I don't think we actually know the parameter size for 3.5 because. This paper was taken down from archive. This paper was like pulled and I think Luigi, you saw the comment. So could you talk about the comment?
2: Uh, Yeah, I could probably try and pull it up fast too, but a comment pretty much said something along the lines of we're retracting this paper because it was, we incorrectly assumed that it was 20 billion parameters because we pretty much saw it in a Forbes article. That's not exactly what it says, but things along those lines. And then it actually links the article that they were like originally assuming was accurate information. And it was like a, an actual Forbes article from a few months ago that just seems like a journalist randomly claiming the GPT 3.5 is 20 billion parameters. I was really, so really like, into
0: uh, this because like how Twitter works, literally everybody was talking about the, the parameter sites and how awesome this is, that like the study model and people were like, yeah, I said this before. And like people were like high-fiving, clapping to the 20 billion parameters. And in fact, this could have been just a misattribution of this Forbes article that they had, and they retracted the paper. The conspiratorial minded folks between us could also say that, hey, they released something they shouldn't have, and now OpenAI made them pull through the paper. And then they kind of went and tried to find the corroborating evidence for the fact that they actually started a 20B from a source. I don't honestly think so, but I don't know how big of GPT-4 is. However, all that conversation, all that pullback, all the retraction, like all these things moved the conversation away from the fact that code Fusion is this incredible, incredible thing, which basically has a different approach in generating code than what we're used to with transformers with like just fitting tokens after to tokens after to tokens of code. And it's a tiny model that beats, put aside the size of GPT 3.5. up until four came out, a year ago, 2.5 blew all of us away into like the coding abilities, right? And now, and obviously we don't yet have anything close to this. And so now we have this like super tiny model. And I know I talk about tiny models and we have Zenova in the audience, the guy behind these floors. Yes. We talk about tiny decoder models. This is 75 million parameters. Missing, could you estimate the size of this in disk space?
1: If we had to guess 75 million parameters of 16 megabytes, I want to say less, more. Yeah. If you're going to run that quantize, you probably have yeah, 50 max.
0: 50 megabytes, coder model that runs code better than 3.5. And you can run it in Transformers.js. You can run it like within your browser. You can run it on edge. You can run it ev- everywhere. And the way they do this is with this diffusion process. I actually folks on stage who read the paper, feel free to raise the hands or like the stuff. I think Luigi, maybe emails if you read this alignment. Let's talk about the diffusion part because like, it's way different than how just like Transformers works in, in sequence, right? Luigi, you want to you wanna extrapolate on this one? I think we've talked a bit.
1: Yeah,
2: just real quick. I also wanted to mention now that you guys mentioned the file size that it would take up, that's actually small enough to fit in the cache, not just VRAM but cache of a lot of chips, a lot of CPUs, um, and that's that's huge. Yeah, and this, and you probably know the implications of that, where it could be really insane. But let's say it's linear scaling of of speed. It wouldn't just be let's say ten times small or ten times faster than a ten times bigger model. It might be more like a hundred times faster or something. Yeah, there's huge implications with that, and then the whole diffusion aspect of it. I think a lot of people know stable diffusion, mid generation models. People are familiar with that, and yeah, it's just taking a lot of inspiration from implementing a diffusion step pretty much into an LLM architecture. And it seems like doing that in the right smart way seems to actually give a lot of benefits, at least for certain types of use cases. And niston if you want to elaborate more on that, because you maybe be able to speak more in depth about that
1: yeah so uh, the reason that a 4090 is so much faster than a 3090 is not because it it has that much more silicon and stuff it's because it can cache a lot of the tensor operations and matrix multiplication stuff anyway whenever it caches it only does it only needs four clock cycles to do calculation whereas if it's if it has if it does not have it on the on chip cache and has to grab it from ram it's going to use like 500. And then if you grab it from the network, you're going to use a few thousand. And each of those takes up electricity and runtime and, and everything. So this is why caching on chip is such a big deal because it is literally a 100x improvement and stuff. Now, I haven't read the paper, so I'll let you... Cause I'm skeptical still on smaller models and I thought it was freaking 20B for G3.5. Come on. So I'm pretty skeptical on this too, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because I don't, I don't really understand how it works. Although Jay, you can go a bit more into that. Yeah. Other than heck does an image mm-hmm. I generating. Yeah. So
2: there are some unique aspects of it in terms of the training data is relatively low context size. So it's pretty much the the model is not trained to do things like entire like long code blocks or write an entire program or anything like that however it does seem to do very well the particular task of let's say completing the rest of a line or like completing the rest of maybe like a couple lines or something and so for unique code bases where the model would have to know like really the context of the whole code block or a a lot of let's say uh, dozens of lines, it wouldn't be able to do that very accurately at all. However, if it's very boilerplate code, it seems like for those types of tasks, that might be a lot of what they're benchmarking and a lot of the type of use cases where this could actually have huge advantages. But yeah,
0: I think that the edge it has. Yeah, thank you. I think it's definitely exciting. I think for real, and everybody started thinking about how to re implement because with the Phi one paper and everything, Microsoft releases something and doesn't release any weight. But at least they released this paper for us, even though they rescinded it. I think they're going to republish this as well. So we're going to see how tiny these models can get, but folks, we're not even close to the end, these incredibly fast models that will fit onto the cache inside the chip that will be able to spit out code better than gpt 3.5 are coming and coming fast. And I, I love that. Honestly, I love that together with local models. I love that together with the fact that Apple finally in their uh, M3 and M3 throw, they probably used the word AI and they said local AI, this is like what we're building towards. So we're going to get all of these things uh, running locally in a performant way. And I absolutely love that. Um, I think we've covered most of what I had on open source AI and been a lot on like, the, yes, go ahead. Did you cover the 30 trillion token dataset? Oh, this is the last one. Yes. You want to, you want to present it? <laughs> go ahead.
2: Yeah, sure. Pretty much Together AI, which again, like I was saying earlier, they also created, I think, flash attention or one of their chief scientists created flash attention, A flash decoding. They created a data set that was about one trillion tokens called Red Pajama. And for those of you unfamiliar with tokens, that's roughly equivalent to one word, roughly about 100 trillion or sorry, one trillion words within this data set. And at the time, that was already some of the biggest out of any publicly available open source data set that you could use. Now there is, over the course of the past couple of months, there's been new ones like a 3 trillion token data set. I think it was called Dolma. Um, another one that was 6 trillion. Now they just released Red Pajama V2 data set, which is now the new largest at 30 trillion tokens. That's a really big deal. Theoretically, if you train a 30B model on 30 trillion tokens, that's enough to actually get probably a lot of the full potential of a 30B model. And it's, this is very massive, yeah.
0: Massive, massive news because especially because there were some feelings among some people. They're like, "Hey, are we going to run out of tokens in here?" Together, Release a, a whole bunch of new tokens for everyone to use. I think I saw somebody that they said there's 30 trillion deduplicated tokens, and if you distill them to very, very high quality, you can get like one, one, one trillion. It's just like an insane amount of code and and, and text that we can use for. Or guys, you guys can use, I can report on it of, of open source to train and give, give us way better models and smaller as well, because it's not only the parameter count, the counts is like for how long you train it as well. I think you must said you kept training it for better quality as well. And yeah, a lot of tokens in open source now available for everybody who wants to, who who wants to train and fine tune their
2: models. I do have a little bit of breaking news in terms of, I know you like the term MM, MMIO so earlier you are saying there's not quite an mmio open source model yet however lava actually just released or the lava people released something just yesterday it seems called lava interact and so apparently it's three multi-modalities it can not only input multi-modalities but output them as well and so it has i'm not too familiar with this Type of architecture, but apparently they're using, they're able to do image generation with the Lava Interactive Model through something called a GleeGen or GleeGen that's implemented. Maybe one of you other speakers in the panel know about that. And it's able to also perform image segmentation from something called Seam and along with just the typical visual chat abilities of being able to pass through an image into Lava. So, yeah, this is like very significant and I I think it's self-explanatory. It can generate images now as well as see images, as well as be able to segment an image that you give it and a lot of possibilities here.
0: Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Literally breaking news because I was summarizing everything that we had before and I was about to say that this MMIO multi-model input and output models only existed in the ice score. Uh at the scope. <laughs> and now we're having because there were demos before people like stitching stable diffusion onto models and like using the APIs. Mm-hmm. And now I've added this to the, to the, to the nest love interactive all in one demo for image, chat segmentation, generation and editing, which is super, super cool. And segmentation, I don't think open does segmentation yet. I think you can add on stuff like Sam segment anything from meta. So definitely worth checking out Lama interactive. Can't wait to see if they have a demo. I don't know if they have a demo, but can not wait to see if they have a demo.
2: Yeah. And also, actually, I should maybe add, it's not just image generation, but they say image editing as well, which you can't really do with Dolly 3 or OpenAI yet. So I guess that if you have segmentation and editing, if you're actually able to utilize both of those in a chat with Lava Interactive, then that could mean, for example, uh, you're actually like segmenting something from a certain image it generates, or you tell it to edit a certain specific aspect of something it generated. And then instead of doing Dolly 3, which just tries to rearrange the prompts and stuff and regenerate, this might actually be able to edit a specific portion
0: of an image directly by what you're saying. I can't wait to play around with Lava Interactive. And kudos to the Lava folks, really, they're pushing the open source multimodality forward significantly and yeah, exciting stuff coming. And we definitely talked about multiple times about how more helpful AI models will be once they join us in the real world using the eyes with the vision stuff, right? You'd be able to point your phone or whatever. And the more local we're gonna get them, the more tiny we're gonna get them, the better they will serve us users and the less we'll have to go to open the eye. Um, and I'm very, very excited about Multimodality, as you guys hear in my voice. And love interactive. Can't wait to play around with this. Thank you, Luigi, for bringing this up. And I do believe that now we're complete, unless there's anything else in episode, but I believe we're now complete and we have a few more things to talk about before we close out. The thing, the last thing that I wanted to talk about is we actually have Arthur on stage. Arthur, you recently joined the company called Luma. Could you tell us what Luma does and what, what new from Luma we, we can expect or was released this week?
6: okay. So Luma AI is basically a 3D company, 3D AI company. And yesterday we had released a foundation model preview called Genie which uh, is a text to 3D model with free access through our Discord. You can go to our company page, click the link, get invited, and try it yourself. And some results are pretty amazing. So
0: yeah. A, a text to 3D is, I, I, I saw some example of this. I think Google released something before, but I actually played with Genie. It's super dope. It really like generates like for an elephant when she pig or some stuff like this. And I think because it's in Discord, it's very similar to how MidJourney and Sable Effusion was in the beginning, where you get to enjoy other people's prompts. And it's also something that's very new, right? We didn't have a lot of text-to-3D models. We had a bunch of previews of models. We had a bunch of papers for text-to-3D, but I don't think I've interacted with text-to-3D model via Discord, and this is re- really pretty cool. And I think there's an additional option to upscale or equivalent of an upscale I'm not sure how it works, Uh, Arthur, maybe if, if you have anything to add there, but there's a way to make the the first iteration better and then get like a higher res result, right?
6: Uh, yeah, we uh, call it refine, but I'm, I can't tell how exactly it works because I'm not in the research department and I haven't got to that yet. Yeah. If you press the refine button on the result that you like most, it will Take some time and produce more detailed and more refined result.
1: So, h- how is this different from? Remember a while ago, OpenAI released Pointy, and Pointy was was pretty bad at generating three D point clouds. They kind of looked like three D objects, but weren't weren't really. What are you guys doing different? And I'm. I've, I completely missed this. We just went in another direction, dude. <laughs> Pointy, e, as far as I
0: know, actually refers to point clouds, like literally It's not like a full three D object. Here, you actually get with texture a three D object with texture. It actually looks like whatever. If you have somebody with pants, it okay. actually looks like pants, and you can then download the actual three D object. I don't know if it. Was called waterproof that you can actually download and start 3D printing. I haven't tested it all the way there, but definitely some of the examples that I ran and asked for different things, I I, I was like a very interesting results. They're not production ready results, obviously, right? The, the video announcing this has some very interesting uh, cherry picked, very very good examples. Some of mine were like okay, some of them were like a little squished, which is fine because literally we're talking about text to 3D. We're literally talking about write an elephant to get a 3D image of an elephant. How insane this is! right so they're not like fully refined yet but i'm just very excited this is a possibility now and i get to talk about hey there's not one but key text 3d models uh, luma ai is one definitely check it out it's free on discord uh it's called genie and uh anybody wants to add this before i move to the next one
6: yes uh, i can say that some people have already created some scenes in blender just by creating creating a bunch of models and that importing them to Blender and creating a 3D city or so. So that's yeah, so cool. They can yeah. check some so, results and people are making amazing.
0: Things. I can't wait yeah. for an actual game that somebody codes with advanced data analytics or whatever open AI tool that takes all of these Luma AI models and actually creates a 3D game that's fully, fully prompted. Can't wait for that. Arthur, if there's anything like this and you see it around, talk to the people, bring it to Thursday I would love it and thank you for... Uh, folks who don't know, Arthur wasn't in Luma for a long time. He just joined, about last week? And it's been the thing where Zanova is also on stage and we're at VB as well. We've had folks who come to Thursday and sadly they work in these companies that release these things. So now we have like a... a person from within the company. I love that. Arthur, thank you for bringing this to, to us and then uh, folks from Luma are welcome to join and talk about, and talk about some things. And now... Before the breaking news, I want to just say that an additional thing to this week about 3D models was from Stability AI. Stability AI released a press release, not yet an actual model, that they also are going to release a text-to-3D. And I think maybe they released it because Luma already released it on Discord. uh, So I can't say, but definitely I know that Stable Diffusion is going to drop anything in open source very fast. And we got not one, but two text-to-3D announcements in the same day. And they all came just before Thursday So I'm very happy to report on those and we'll include them in the newsletter. We don't have a lot of inside information about diffusion models outside of this, but now our AI art and diffusion category is extended to 3D models as well. I couldn't be more excited about it. It's just crazy. It's just type. I'm looking at Emozilla. Emozilla's avatar here is, is what are these yellow things called? I forgot. Minion. Right? You can go and say, hey, a yes, minion yeah. with one eye, you'll get a 3D model of this minion, and then you can take this as an object and just run this in a 3GS scene, and the AI can write the scene for you and the prompt for you, and you can generate 3D games with just talking to it. It's fucking insane. It's fucking insane. GPT didn't release a year ago yet. Okay, I will stop.
1: Mm-hmm. Guys No wonder they're going to try and regulate it because we're putting a pace now on OpenAI where things are better. Now... After testing, we have like longer context window than you get from the best model from, from Cloud 2. You can do image editing and remove stuff from images in, in multi-model. You can generate 3D scenes better than pointy. Oh, oh yeah, we have VB with a faster distilled... Wait, display. wait, we have a breaking announcement here. <laughs> yeah. <So> we have <laughs> so... Zenova
0: and, and VB on the audience. I miss, I just don't want don't to jump the, the announcement itself. Uh, VB... From Hugging Face, and uh, Zeno from Hugging Face, welcome to the stage of Thursday. We we haven't seen you in a long time. You
7: probably were busy. Are you Are you working on something cool with your class? Welcome to (laughs) stage. How's it going? Nothing, nothing out of the (laughs) usual. I would say first of all, hello everyone. Uh, I'm just gonna quickly introduce myself real quick. I'm BB. I work with the open source audio team uh, at Hugging Face. Um, Primarily focus on transformers and also like on the adoption of transformers. uh yeah I, I I'll just take a sec to explain uh what the model is if uh that works with you Alex
0: yeah okay. yeah please please announce will okay. be super cool
7: all right, first of all, like all of this work that I'm gonna be talking about is not mine <laughs> so this is of my colleagues whose name is Sanchez and Patrick. they worked on this this incredible project the the project itself is distill whisper, so essentially what they did was they took whisper like whisper, which is a sequence to sequence more, and it's like a of a model like insanely large and and works quite great, they took that and they distilled it into a a smaller model. Now, why does this, why should you be excited about this? By and large, Whisper, just as the model itself, is is like a huge model and uh, in terms of inference, it takes quite a long time to give you the final results, which essentially means that you cannot quite use Whisper for near real-time use cases or just for transcribing large amount of data or audio. And so Sanchit and Patrick, they came up with the with the idea of distilling Whisper into a smaller model. This is not our first rodeo with distilling models. From those of you who've been around for a while, you would know that back in the day, we released Distill Bird, which was essentially Bird, but incredibly smaller and is still data used for a lot of on-device stuff as well. And so this is essentially taking a similar recipe um, of sort and then um, using that for whispered large models. So um, what we've done right now is we've essentially released English-only checkpoints, uh, which are distilled. And you can effectively, if you, if you look at any of our benchmarks, we were essentially able to transcribe roughly about 150 minutes of audio in less than three minutes. And so it, it, it's blazingly fast. And if my uh, again, this is like me being purely biased. If my understanding is correct, then um, based on my benchmarks, uh, this would be the fastest implementation uh, of Whisper um, on GPU at the moment. Um, uh, and and just one last point. So as I mentioned, that these these checkpoints are English only that we're releasing right now. So we're releasing Whisper uh, Large, like Distil Whisper Large, and Distil Whisper Medium, and And we will also, hopefully, if the run goes well, then we'll also release a smaller checkpoint for this as well. Alongside this, we will be releasing the entirety of the code base used for distillation and along with certain recommendations of what data sets you can use for it. So you can then later on distill your own checkpoints for your own language Mm -hmm. as well. And based on how the adoption is, we might do it as well. So um, thank you very much for listening.
0: Thank you so much for coming up and, and talking about this because we've talked about Distilled Whisper even before you guys released it, but today is actually the weights are out, correct? Could you maybe briefly discuss the concept of distillation, like mm-hmm. how it works, what it actually is in actuality?
7: Sure. The way this works is, uh, is that Whisper, in this particular case, Whisper is like a sequence sequence model. So you have an encoder and you have a decoder. In this type of distillation, what we did was we froze the encoder. We have a teacher model, which is the Whisper Large V2 model. Right, which is the most robust checkpoint that OpenAI has released so far for Whisper. Uh, we take that as the teacher model, and then we take a, then we create a student model. And essentially, what we do is we um, we like jointly train both the teacher and sorry, we train the student model with the teacher model. So essentially, what we do is for for each forward pass, we take the values from the from the teacher model, and we use that to backpropagate the student model, right? And in most cases, the student model is like smaller than the teacher model. So essentially, we boost the learning of the model with the with the bigger, uh, which is the larger V2 OpenAI model, right? And so what we what we found uh, was that um, sort of playing around with the with the encoder doesn't really make as much sense because it is the one which learns. So encoder is the one which learns the audio representations, right? So the encoder takes the audio and then converts it into some sort of hidden state. So we decided to keep that as is and only train the decoder layers of the student model. And what we did was we reduced the decoder layers by four times. So instead of eight, or I think 12, I I keep forgetting like what's the actual number of decoder layers in the original teacher model, but we brought it down to just two. Right. So essentially your, your decoding becomes insanely fast. Right. And, uh, we're essentially, where we essentially did that. Right. And, and so you only train like the two layers of the, of the decoder for the student model. And that, that's where the bonus comes from. There's like through this, we used like, um, like a variety of open source data sets, which by the function of them being open source were a bit more dirtier in the sense, like they had a lot of noise, which... And, and, and this training resulted in our models being a bit more resilient to noise. And what this means in principle is that our our, our checkpoints, our release checkpoints, hallucinate quite less as compared to the original uh, OpenAI Whisper large models, right? And just one last sort of acknowledgement: like all of this would not have been possible if OpenAI would wouldn't have released their checkpoint in the first place. Our models are great just because we had a really sounding teacher model to begin
8: with. Yeah, just that. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to discuss what Vivi said as well. If I remember correctly, I read the paper the other day, but the, in, in either case, both for the medium and the large checkpoints, the decoder is initialized. So it's, it's the decoder. Basically, you slice all the middle layers. You only take the first and the last layer. And that, that's what you use for initialization. So in either case, both for the medium and the large models, it's only two decoder layers, which is, I, I'm kind of like so surprised that that works. It's like you, what is the original? I think it's, I, I think it's 24 for, the, uh, is it for the medium or the large? But one of them goes basically from 24 down to two and it, and it somehow still works, which is quite, quite amazing. Um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that and then another thing that I quickly want to mention i know maybe we're going over time or or, or something but literally as we speak right now um i'm uploading the transformers js weights the onyx compa- onyx weights for these models but you'll be able to use them i'm going to adjust the if you maybe recall whisper web that's like a, a demo that i released a while ago i'm going to add them as options so people can start playing around with it client side running in the browser. And uh, yeah, it's it's quite amazing seeing these, seeing these models get
0: smaller and smaller. Can we <laughs> talk about file size here, Zenova? Because I, I know that size yeah, sure. is very important for client type <laughs> inference. Can you give us like examples of yeah. uh, so the large Whisper versus like large distilled? Yeah, yeah, for sure.
8: So the large original, so the original OpenAI Whisper, it's around 1.5 billion parameters, which is uh, <laughs> pretty big. Um, the distilled version is, basically half the size at around 756 million parameters. And basically, it's a really quick, easy calculation to see how um, to calculate the size of these models running in browser with 8-bit quantization. You just take the number of parameters and that's the the number of megabytes. In this case, the still large V2, which is 756 million parameters, will then equate to around 756 megabytes. And the medium version is 394 million parameters, which once again equates to 394 megabytes when you're using 8-bit quantization, which transforms JS users by default. And that's like significantly less than, than the, original, the original checkpoints, which is quite amazing, quite exciting. And of course, if you want to calculate what it will be for FP32 or FP16, you just multiply by two for FP16 or...
0: Multiply by four for FP thirty two. So yeah, that's so awesome. And uh, Vivi, just one last thing. And before I think we have uh, uh, another breaking news from Alignment uh, from Austin. But uh, Vivi, there is also this thing insanely fast whisper, which is a framework. I think that that you helped mm-hmm. uh, put. Could you talk about that? Sure.
7: Yeah, it's it's essentially like duct taping bunch of techniques together. That's and this is uh, again. I want to start off with by saying that this is like work built by potentially thousands of contributors to Transformers and Optimum libraries. Uh, But essentially like what we did over here was taking like the, taking the the Transformers implementation of Whisper. And this is like Hugging Face Transformers implementation. And then I just went on like applying every optimization known to the, known to, to us. (laughs) And until the time, like I was able to get like the fastest implementation possible. Like essentially this this is the again, as per my biased benchmarks, if you have a file or if you have some sort of audio file which is more than 30 seconds long, then this is this framework would would be the fastest way to go on GPU. Right. And so essentially what we did was we took the Whisper implementation, we first loaded the weights in a half precision. So in in FP16, and then we introduced the concept of batching so batching is essentially let's say you have a 24 minute sort of um, audio file and then what what you can do with 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 batching and especially like something that is available within transformers pipeline implementation is that you can uh, chunk this say it with 24 minute audio into 48 pieces or 72 pieces or you know as many chunks as you want to and you can process them parallel and we have a stitching algorithm sort of baked in into into pipeline which essentially helps you stitch all of these individual parallelly processed transcriptions together and that is where pretty much like 50% of the speed boost comes from and then it took it one step beyond and i uh, compiled the model with with torch short compile plus uh, with the better transformers implementation essentially then we switched the uh, instead of using torch nn uh, torch nn we use torch.transformer Better transformer implementation, which gave us like, um, I think, like about a 0.25x boost um, overall. So Just to summarize, like with this, uh, if you're just using original whisper weights, you would be able to transcribe something like 300 hours of, uh, sorry, 300 uh, hours, minutes. Uh, I, I, I keep getting confused. Oh, sorry, 300 minutes of, of audio in about 10 minutes, uh, according to my benchmark and again if you on on the large one on the large one so so all the optimizations are on large of course if you use medium then it's it's a bit more faster um, um you know but like i use large just because i in my experience like large is the way to go when it comes to you know um actually uh, getting uh, results which which i feel comfortable pushing out to the public uh, yeah. in terms of transcription quality and yeah so this is just on like original weights now if you plug in like distilled whisper weights then you go, it, you go down to about five minutes for 300 minutes of audio. And I feel like now we're at a point where we can quite easily use, for example, the distill checkpoints for even like streaming inference for Whisper. And that is also possible. And yeah, there's there's like much more stuff like coming this way, uh, especially around, um, you know, on device, on like on Mac and so on. So stay tuned for next week. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you manage to ship it by then. <laughs> for, yeah yeah
0: yeah definitely thank you so much for working on this shout out some folks from Hugging face as you know and leave you thanks for coming up and talking about this folks check out insanely fast whisper check out the steel whisper as well the whole concept of distillation we've talked about multiple times even in GPT 4 many of the models many of the data sets that we're talking about are essentially the teacher model teaches the student model leave you saying thanks for talking us through this and how it works in in in, in actuality and super cool to see that we can get open source models from big companies and then train smaller, smaller models for specific, maybe areas like English and get them like way faster because many people just subscribe to English, let's say Thursday. I, every time I describe Thursday, I, but I know for a fact that we've only talked to English, so in two hundred minutes. That's pretty much when we go all over, like overboard, overboard, that not even 200 minutes and getting this under five minutes or 10 minutes. minutes—is actually incredible with batching. So thank you for that. Um, I think, folks, we went over through all the updates of everything that was cool in AI this week. And thank you, everybody who joined. And I think we're just at the right mark of uh, under two hours. And so I think it's a good time for recapping the space. I just want to say... A few things first of all it's incredibly humbling and super super awesome for the folks who actually do the things we talk about to also come to the stage and talk about those things shout out imos shout out vb and zeno and some other folks shout out alignment labs and the ldj and Thick it's incredible to have you here talk about the stuff that we would have covered anyway and go in depth with what this means uh we also have folks from the actual companies like arthur and i i find it like lovely to do this every week from week to week if you've been with us for the first time and you're in the audience and you like haven't experienced Thursday AI, this is what Thursday AI is all about. We cover news from all around kind of the AI ecosphere, from big companies to open source, as you've probably noticed today, open source LLMs and open source models generally is the sweet spot of what we're talking about, but also we cover everything from like diffusion models and now diffusion models and 3D and APIs, so big company APIs, and next week, I've already announced this next week. Thursday, I joins Latent Space, and we're going to do spaces from the dev day in San Francisco. Hopefully, I'll, uh, I won't be sick, and I'll be able to fly there soon. And we're here every week discussing pretty much a lot of the stuff that updated. And oftentimes, we have folks who actually go d- d- dive deeper and tell us about what distillation is or what yarn is. Thank you, Imaz, again, for showing up and explaining and walking us through the actual things. If you notice something that we haven't covered, please, please DM or reply to the thing. This will go in the newsletter as well. If you missed any point of this as well, after I conclude this, then pretty much the same day, there's going to be a podcast episode and newsletter on Thursdayi.news. If you're hitting my profile or Thursday, I think it's part of the speakers on the panel, please follow that so you'll get all the links as well so you won't get lost. We've pinned all the links to the top of the space, but all of them will also be like sorted in, in a newsletter format. I just want to say, uh, how awesome this is to feel that it's not even been a year since Strategicity, and now we're able to say things to existence. We're able to talk things to existence. We're able to prompt things and build games and have 3d assets and edit images with fucking text like luigi just said hey and it seems to us because we follow this from week to week it seems oh yeah of course this is an advancement of what we saw a week ago but still it's insane you can type a thing you can just write i want the sky to be blue or i want the sky to be green and there's a model that, like segments away and puts the green sky and then puts it back and it shows you the, this, this incredible thing we will not stop getting excited we will watch the regulation stuff, we'll watch the Dumerism stuff, but we'll definitely bring you the news with uh, with a pinch of excitement as well, because this is what we're here for. This is what Thursday I is here for. And I'm very happy to, to be able to even hold space for all these great conversations to happen. So if you like those, please join us next time as well. And with that, I want to say happy Thursday to you. There will likely be more breaking news. Thursday seems to be the sweet spot of AI breaking news. And uh, with that, we'll probably cover them next week. If you notice something during the week, please tag me or Thursday AI or hashtag Thursday I so we'll know. If you notice that we haven't covered something, also participate and let's go as the community and learn together and I think I'm done with that I'm going to go and start editing. Thank you so much everybody for joining and we'll see you here next week Bye
1: bye